Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. As always, my name is Brad, or otherwise known as Brad Zephyr, and I am joined by Alex Lochtwain. Alex, say hello. Hello. And I'm not telling you to shut the fuck up this time well, because yeah, we are celebrating. This was, this was a real classic. I know. You had a real classic intro. Wow. It's beautiful. It's good. But yeah, it is today. It is December 28th. We are approaching the new year, entering 2023. And we thought it would be nice to look back at a year in review, talk about the things that we liked about the year, the best moments, best cards that we like. So we both put together a top five of our favorite cards of 2022. Doesn't necessarily mean they're the most powerful cards, but they are the ones that we have the most fun playing with or find the most interesting, as well as talking about other things that happened throughout the year, things that we thought were awesome and some things that we thought were uh, less than awesome. But... I guess we should start with the negative things first so we end on a positive note. And we're in agreement on this because we talked about it before the cast officially started. If you were on the Patreon, you could have heard that pre-ramble all before I just said the wonderful introduction that Alex was raving about just now. So if you want to do that, go ahead and go into the link in the description, go to the Patreon, and you can show some support, get easy access and early access to every episode and pre-rambles and a little extra content, all that good shit but the most unfortunate thing to happen in 2022 the lowest point that we agree on alex what was that i think i mean there is there is definitely uh a level of recency bias here i'm trying to find the article because i thought i would just have it easily and then it fucking vanished um it's about twitter yeah, but I tried to click on Twitter and then it didn't work. So I think, are they are they trying to hide things from us, Brad? Because they don't want us to flame. Ah, look at that. I found it. Elish Norn, Mother of Machines, The Good and the Bad. Now, this is an article by uh, Sheldon Mannery. A lot of people will know him as one of the people credited with creating the entire Commander format. And one of the probably like longer last longer there being and more outspoken members of the um, rules committee, wrote an article on Star City Games about Elish Nor and how the good and the bad of the card. Well, the big point being is that, according to him, the card is too good for Commander, might be, might be bannable, not saying it will be banned, but kind of like a card that, you know, could have been banned and should have probably not been printed. Now, you know, as a commander player, I don't feel like going into the details as to why I think this is absolute horseshit. <laughs> like, anyway. But there was um, a part in this article, and he talks about which, you know, I mean, people probably suspected, but, you know, I've never seen it so upfront. So I'll read that bit out. What the rules committee said, so this is about Elish Norn. We saw this card during design. Now, that's already a lot of people were like, do they? Like, does the rules committee actually get to see cards during design? Not surprising, but new information to me. Uh, Normally, we see the file, make our comments, and send them in jointly within a week or two. As soon as I saw the card, I send off an email saying, please never print this card. Shortly thereafter, I found out that I wasn't the only one of the four of us, this was before Olivia and Jim joined us, they joined on the rules committee later, who had done that. 
We of course then talked about it together as well and reiterated our point during the joint feedback. This is not a healthy card for Commander. Now, what sparked a lot of conversation about that is the fact that apparently the rules committee has like, you know, a short line with Watsi and gives recommendations about cards that should or should not be printed or should or should be changed for fucking standard sets. Even yeah. though we get a billion fucking commander products every year and half of the cards printed into standard already look like they're made for commander. So a lot of people, myself included, were a bit like, what the fuck, Watsi? <laughs> like, now, this is not saying... For the record, because a lot of people lost their shit on this too, and it doesn't make sense. This is not saying, evidently, because this card got printed, that the rules committee gets to say if a card gets printed or not. They don't have that level of authority, not even close. They are advisory, as they are basically always are towards um, this type of thing. But yeah, what what was like? What was your reaction when you when you read this? Before I ramble on for too long. I mean, so yeah, you said that they aren't necessarily like, they don't have the final say, they are just advisors on cards like this. But the two things that jump out to me is, A, like you said, there are tons, predominantly the majority of the products we get every year are commander-based products that affect things like legacy. We're seeing that with the um, initiative uh, cards uh, coming out and actually affecting a constructive format in legacy. So there are cards already that are made for Commander that are affecting a constructed format that the Rules Committee, I guess, seemingly... I mean, we don't know if they mentioned anything about initiative or whatever, but the, the idea is they're focusing on wh whether or not it's good for Commander. I highly doubt that the Rules Committee will look at cards and be like, oh, this is going to fuck up Legacy or whatever. I don't think they have that care. And honestly, and, I don't and think also they should not have the that care. Yeah, like, exactly. I they don't shouldn't think, have like, that care. Yeah, that's not their job. Exactly. However... The fact that they're able to look at standard sets like this and have their input given, it does beg the question, even though this card, of course, we see as it being spoiled and previewed by Watsi, was printed, even though they asked it not to be. And we also don't know whether or not Sheldon is being a bit overdramatic, and that's literally exactly what he said um, in his article. Either way, the, the idea is still very much there in the sense that they have some kind of say and giving feedback about cards during their design process is that it does beg the question of have they ever altered a card before because of this? Has Watsi ever given feedback or received feedback from the rules committee on the past on standard legal cards and been like, maybe they lower yeah. the power level of a card maybe, or even increase the, the power level of a card because of commander. And it ends up having a ripple effect against constructed play. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll read out the the next paragraph to, because there's a little bit of like iteration on that. This card does not look like it's going to offer positive play experience. It's dangerously designed and then pushed mana wise. I get that it's a main set card, not a commander product, and I'll return to the recognition that not everything has to design be designed with commander in mind. I'll also point out that it would also be tremendously naive for a designer-slash-design team to ignore Commander's existence when designing cards. Further, I have concerns that the design of this card getting through may impact the design of future cards. So yeah, this definitely sort of begs the question, like, you know, think of, like, your friendly, like, uncastable cards like Jin Cathaxis. Like, was this card cheaper 
in development and actually like maybe a little castable in constructed and then they were like too good for commander make it more expensive and then they're like sure we give it like more power more toughness but also more mana cost and now it's just pushed out of the range of playability for constructed like that's i think that's like a very you know in constructed it can really sometimes boil down to like one mana like imagine if shieldred was yeah. a five mana five five like i think there's a exactly. pretty good chance she wouldn't be a very good card yeah. you know so it can really go on like one or two mana costs on a card um so if commander makes it so a card is now you know harder to cast even like maybe it's more color restrictive it is more expensive but it gets more power toughness but again that doesn't really matter that could mean that a really cool card now sucks in constructed and isn't played because of commander which is frankly ridiculous i mean i will have to go a little bit into why this whole philosophy is fucking dumb anyway Commander is the format where you play a bunch of, like, seven mana cards, even though there is a thousand removal spells and counter spells that cost one or two mana. Like, I know dice to removal is a dumb argument sometimes, but my fucking god, if you're playing a Shieldred deck, um, sorry, a, a Elishnorn deck, your deck is mono-white, dude. Like, yeah. fuck off. You're playing a mono-white commander deck and this is too good? Like, in what world? Like Jesus Christ! <laughs> it's just yeah, that, and bro. Not only that, regardless, even if this card is obscenely broken and needs to be banned, then fucking ban yeah, it. Then fucking ban it, right? There's because we as constructed players deal with this all the fucking time. Could, could you? We imagine? have had the most level amount of bannings in the last few years since 2017 than every other standard that, that's existed combined. Come on. Because, like, uh, wait, let me do EDH. It's also the ban. rule zero format. Yeah, uh, so I'll go to Commander, right? And there's a bunch of cards banning Commander. You know, like, Golos. But Golos is a really cool card for Constructed. I watch Aspiring Spy cast it in Modern, like, very frequently, and it's a very cool card there. Primeval Titan is banned in uh, Commander and a very iconic, cool Modern card. Very iconic card to end game with. Gristlebrand banned. Um, let's see. Gifts Ungiven is banned. Emrakul the Aeon Cor Aeon's Torn is banned. Um, Lutri is banned, but I do get that one. Uh, what are some other cool cards? What is Sundering Titan even? Is that the one that... I didn't even know that was banned in Commander. Apparently it is. You know, Sundering Titan, uh, Prophet of Crufix, Paradox Engine. Like, there's a bunch of cool cards that show up in constructed formats that are banned in commander but i'm very happy they were designed in the first place yeah so like like yeah if you get a thousand cards also like i i, I don't fucking get commander players like i feel like in my eyes i play commander i think there is fun stuff to be done in commander i think it is a fun format because just like in the pre-talk we talked about video games i care more about playing with people than whatever game i'm actually playing um i feel like in my eyes the spirit of commander died like five years ago anyway because now a very large number of cards in your commander deck are designed for commander cards which mm. kind of goes against the spirit of the format anyway but yeah. you get your seventeen thousand products with a bunch of ridiculously powerful cards in it and then we get a standard set it's like can can we like 
can we have something, please, Sheldon? Can can we just have <laughs> please? This is what this is all I want. You would think with the introduction of like commander products, um, they could they stop would, doing it for constructed sets. Yeah, they would back off. But again, that goes again that that goes and adds to the issue that you're just saying of like it ruins the whole spirit of commander in the first place of having only commander made products. But we get things like commander sets now, like commander legends and shit, yeah. right? So, like the idea that Commander is a collection of your old favorite cards is like dead, except for you can do it. Uh, someone on Twitter I follow, I think their their name's Golgari guy. They have like a old bordered green deck with literally just like old versions of card. I think every card that they have is before seventh edition or whatever. Yeah, it's Commander. Mm-hmm. You can play that, but like. So in that way, the idea that Commander is a collection of your old favorites is never truly dead because it's Commander and you can do whatever the fuck you want. But for most players, you know, they'll they'll play with precons and cards from precons and they draft Baldur's Gate and play with cards from Baldur's Gate and that's fine. But not only that, why, why the fuck if you got a ruin constructed? Commander's the rule zero format. Like, if you don't like a card. You and your playgroup can decide to not play with it. Yeah, that too. But I, I will that's say... That's the spirit of it as well. I will say, like, I think the whole Rule Zero thing is kind of... Eh. Like, it, it's too much of, like, a blanket. Yeah, just Rule Zero it as if, like, we can do whatever the hell we want and just tell Commander players to Rule Zero it. Like, I agree with that. But they, but, the, but you have both a, Rule Zero and the sense that they have a... Established yeah, but, ban list. Yeah, they how have many, a ban list. Just how like many we commander do. players? How many commander players do you think, out of every commander player there is, every play group that exists that hang out on Friday nights or go to the fucking shop and play with randoms and that kind of thing, how many of them do you think, like what percentage, actually fully adhere to the ban list and don't have their own custom things? Because I've seen plenty of stores that have their own custom fucking commander ban list for yeah. like com- yeah. to play at the shops. Yeah, there, there's things I I know I've I've at shops they have commander nights and they literally have rules like do you like collect points over the evening and like if you have like an infinite combo you lose points and like that type of thing and uh, there's even a lot of people who don't play official formats at least that's always what Maro says that the majority of Magic players play kitchen table and they don't even play a format like an established format so yeah but yeah anyway like. It's just, it's frustrating to think, like, it makes you think about all these cards over the years that just didn't make it, They're like, these big, splashy, cool cards that just didn't make it, and it's probably not the case for most of them, but it is very annoying to think that a fucking email from the rules committee could have made it so a cool card is now not playable and constructed. Yeah. Like, and that thought is just really, it fucking irks me to, like, no end. I have to see that. Whatever. Well, that's the low point. We got it out of the way. If you have a lower point, you can tell us. Please give us feedback. Tell us what you think is the actual There's some stuff that here. happened. I mean, God. Yeah. But. I was going to say the uh, the heads you, ta- heads you win, or heads I win, tails you lose commander deck from Secret Lair, but I forgot that that was actually placed, like, for orders last december so it doesn't technically count as 2022 but hey no one got it until this year anyway so maybe that does count (laughs) as being a low point yeah there was the um 
What do you call that? The uh, Jumpstart 2021, uh, 2022. Uh, sorry, the Jumpstart 2020. A lot of people in Europe joked. It's like, you mean Jumpstart 2021? Because of how long it took to mm-hmm. be actually yeah. delivered here. It was almost Jumpstart 2022, I think, for some people. This Jumpstart was way better, though. It was delayed by, like, yeah, they, a week. They they so, did it far better. Um, yeah. Because I think they understood how, how popular it was. Also, they've been doing the Jumpstarts for standard sets now. Oh, well, my God. Which also every makes standard it a little bit of confusing. Too. But, I mean, that's, like, an overall. That's been a low point for years. Like, too many products. It's confusing. Yeah. Like, please stop. Especially giving multiple things the same name now. Please don't do that. But, you know, I'm sure there will be some amount of, you know, low talk because there's been other points. But let's get into some, like, the high point. Like, Brad, what do you think the highest point was this year? Um, hmm. The highest point of 2022 for Magic. I would say... You could be Pioneer-specific, too. If you want yeah, I would say that the overall philosophy of standard sets has jumped back up in power level, um, but not quite back into the fire level design, and has felt a lot more balanced and uh, competitively skewed um, for the most part. Yes, we have commander cards in standard sets still. Yes, we have a lot of cards that are just kind of straight up bad, but we have enough cards that are giving us tools to make decks a bit better and have those competitive things without it being overtly pushed like the whole Eldraine fire design era yeah i i've been a bit in two minds about that because on the one hand i agree on the other hand sometimes i miss fire design because i felt like if you take it's like what a lot of people said about modern horizon sets if you take modern horizon set you shave off the top five percent you have awesome sets and i feel like in the past this year specifically we have gotten a lot of cards that are extremely good, but not, like, broken. But they're, like, obnoxiously powerful. Think, like, you would never see, like, Fable of the Mirror Breaker be banned, right? Mm-hmm. They will never ban the Channel Lands from Kamigawa. But they are cards that are, like, I just kind of wish these didn't exist. And I've had that quite a bit this year. With some cards where I'm really just like, I just wish this card didn't exist, but it's not good enough to ban. And with Fire Design, it felt like those cards, the they are too good, but I wish they didn't exist, were a little better, therefore got banned. And you were like left with all the cool cards from the set. And now we don't have that because the power level is not quite fire, but still really high. But it is at least fun to see like, Every set has, like, a bunch of cards creep into Pioneer, but it isn't, like, when Theros... Like, when Theros came out, it felt like Pioneer rotated with how ridiculously powerful that set was. And it is kind of cool that if you had started 2022 and um, you play that deck now, it's still, like, fine. Whereas if you would have done that in the year that Eldraine came out, I mean, obviously, that is when Pioneer just started, so that's not really fair. But, like, if that would happen and you come back after a year and Eldraine and Theros released, you're like, well, guess I can't play this deck anymore. And you don't have that. And then we have a couple other things. We also have, uh, have the high points. We have the low points. 
first things first, before we get to another thing, because I, I just added, we have a little segment, a little tracker that we're basically taking notes of in the Discord chat, and Alex is confused by one that I just added. So I will get to that in a second when cool. we get to it. But first, but I want to go ahead and there talk is one about high your point. high yes. point. My high point was absolutely the return of coverage, and especially like the specific weekend when we had all the RCs. Like the RC weekend, like just that I woke up on a Saturday, went on Twitter and saw a tweet like coverage live all weekend. You know, go mm-hmm. to twitch.tv legacy EU tour or whatever. And I was like, man, I fucking miss this. Like yeah, of course. waking up, hopping onto Twitch, seeing magic, big tournament to watch, cool the tournament in EU is over. As that one wraps up, the one in the US starts. I literally got to watch high level magic all day. Like, that was awesome. And to me, like, it really, like, you know, that's what make me. That's what makes magic for me. High-level tournaments, you know, paper play, like, that's magic. And that, I was so happy to see it back. Can't wait for the next RC. Yeah. I, the, the fact that we're, in, we're also entering the first year of pro, like a pro tour, right? Because this has all been regional championships and regional championship qualifiers leading up to this. So 2023 is going to be the year of the pro tour finally coming back. Yeah, we still got some RCs, and then we get the big one, the pro tour, finally. Which is exciting. That's going to be so fucking hype. I can't wait to see what decks and Pioneer. And Pioneer is the main one, is the main format, so this is huge for us. Yes, absolutely, because I still feel like, even though if you like, I think a lot of people think they play Pioneer when they play Explorer, and I've been playing a lot of Explorer the past few weeks, and it is so like a concentrated version of the top Pioneer meta, there's so much Rakdos, Mono Green, etc. But when you look at like Challenges, Top 5s, Twitter, a bunch of content creators like Doomwake, like trying different kind of decks... You're like, man, there is still so much more to this format. And I can't wait. It's already with the RCs. You're seeing some of that. But I can't wait till the Pro Tour when just pros all over the world get up in teams, you know, lock themselves away for a month and come out with the most kick-ass decks you've ever seen. Yeah, exactly. So being able to see what the best minds in the competitive uh, realm can come up with and work with with the card pool that we've been given... Uh, that's always the most exciting thing. I could just fucking imagine we get that process and like a it's month a later, like or that or like half the like um, teams come out with it's mono green, but we change two cardboard cards. It's the best we could come up with. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We do have one. Uh, I don't know. Should we do top five cards that we our personal top five cards of the year first, or should we do the one that I uh, just added in? Do that one so you can explain it to me. I mean, I can, yeah, so I can explain it. So I have top storylines that amounted to nothing. And what I mean by that is I already have the best example I can think of. Remember when Liliana was spoiled, <laughs> Alex? <laughs> and everyone's like, this is going to ruin Pioneer. That card's crack. That Me card too. is not Format in Rakdos list anymore. It's just not played anymore. No one it's plays it. The, it's not even a fucking Grease Fang. Maybe Esper Grease exactly. Fang. I think that's the only place it's played now. 
Like when when Carnage five O's with an Esper Grease Fang list again. That's like, yeah, the one man casting Liliana. So that's what I mean when I think of like top storylines that amounted to nothing. What thing that happened, Ooh. that flavor of the week, Twitter argument or whatever regarding Magic, where everyone's like, this is going to kill Magic. This is going to kill this format. It's going to hurt whatever X, Y, and Z. And it could even be outside of the realm of Magic. Just a, a 2022 storyline that came out where people are like, oh my God, what the fuck? But nothing came of it. God, that's that's a very open-ended question. Um... I think for for magic, I almost have like an uh, like an almost opposite one for magic. I found it so funny that we had this week long Discord of Rakdos is actually a bad deck. Here's why, and just yeah. every time that happened, like the challenge would be like five out of eight would be Rakdos. Yep, and it's like and all these people would go to Twitter like deck's bad, deck's bad, don't play it, and a misplaced changer is just like yeah, I'm just gonna win another challenge with it. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Rackers I love that one. Arguably the... the best deck in Pioneer, I would say. It's most well-rounded. Ooh. What's the rest? I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I will say to me, the year has been like... I was talking about this with my girlfriend the other day. To me, it felt like the first half of 2020, uh, 2022. The first half of the year felt like it took three years. And yeah. the second half of the year felt like it went by in two months. Yeah, I have to remember like, the beginning of this year, like January to fucking like June, I was working still as a teacher. It doesn't feel like that happened this year. <laughs> it felt like that happened two <laughs> years ago. It felt like I've been removed from teaching for like well over a year now. Um, but it's only been like six, seven months. That That's a weird thing to think about. Yeah, I'm not. Was there, I'm not was sure there any the... other card that came out that like people were like, "This is gonna ruin"? I feel uh, like oh, we've. I mean, had... Obnixilis being the most powerful uh, planeswalker yeah. ever printed. Yeah, Obnixilis being. Uh, I'll, I'll quote myself here once again. Uh, Obnixilis is Oko if it's in the right shell. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes! Yeah. You know that's a, that's yeah, a big that's a yikes. We missed. Um, I mean, that, calling that a miss is a fucking understatement. Um, do we have oh, any other major the... misses on, uh, on our top I feel top like we have more example? underrated cards. Oh, uh, I think Michigo's Reign of Truth. A lot of people thought that was the best saga from Kamigawa. And it's oh, yeah. about, like, niche. Like, there are artifact aggro decks that play it. It's not a bad card, but oh my fucking god, is Fable a better card? But yeah, I feel like we've had more, like, underrated. Fable was very underrated. The Wandering um, Emperor was underrated. The Wandering Emperor was underrated. And before people go out and be like, I thought the cart was good. And I'm like, yeah, there are people that got it right, right? I have a guy in the game receipts. store who was like immediately like, Alish Norn's cracked. Uh, no, sorry, Alish Norn, uh, Shouldered is cracked. Yeah. You know, when I was thinking like, this is literally like a bulk rare, like a bulk mm-hmm. mythic. Uh, that's cute for Commander and the cart's ridiculous. Um, we had a lot of that. Uh, Ledger Shredder. Where I still feel like, I think I do have the receipt on that. I'm pretty sure if I go to my Twitter. Because a lot of people, after the set came out and they were playing it, they were like, oh my god, this triggers on your opponent's spells too. And I'm pretty sure I have a tweet where I have, where I have a, but I think literally I have a print screen of the reveal stream where it was on. And I was Mm -hmm. like, hey, it's pretty sweet. It triggers on your opponent's spells too. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I saw that immediately, but I didn't buy them. So, you know, I'm still the fool here. As I usually am when it comes to predicting new cards. God, I always need like a solid week or two to figure out what's good. <laughs> what about uh, the uh, the decent amount of people that actually thought the new Teferi from Dominari was going to be good? I mean, I don't know what to tell you. It's five mana. Like, it's I mean, good. in all fairness, his static ability is ridiculous. Yeah. So, is. like, there is That's a... when the rules committee I mean, stepped yeah. in and maybe, said maybe, been five. Maybe that card four. was four mana. You know, maybe that card was four mana. It was a four mana, four, uh, four loyalty when it came in, you know? And then, you know, Sheldon was like, this card's too good, and they made it five mana, and now it's bad. Um, I mean, but that's the kind of card where I'm kind of happy it turned out to be shit. I feel like if that card was good, it was cracked. So I was very happy for people to be wrong about that one. Yeah. What's another one? Um, I I think Obnixilis might be, like, almost more so than... uh than Liliana, because people were talking about that card for, like, other formats, too, right? Not just Pioneer. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like Obnixilis is probably, like, by by myself included, uh, probably the most overrated card of the year, and it kind of just fell flat. But that's also in the context that after printing Obnixilis, um, Watsi decided to put about 17 hate cards for Ragdolsec in every set that followed it. So that yeah. didn't help. <laughs> like, here's temporary lockdown. Here's Brotherhood end. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Rakdos will... had a, had its moment uh, under the sun uh, for like it a It was week. good in Kamigawa with Luris when you had the only called Anvil Luris bullshit. Then it was a pretty good deck. And after that, it just, it just died. Bring back Winota. I just want to oh, see what God. it would do. That's probably also a story that didn't go anywhere. But it is still a very good deck. But what, Winota? No, when Winota and they banned Expressive Iteration and everyone's like, this is wrong. Mm. No, this is the wrong ban. Delph spell's broken. When like, Phoenix is a good deck, but it's like just one of the good decks. I think Phoenix got better with Expressive Iteration banned. Maybe. I mean, they got a lot of good cards. Was it? Yeah, I think that was after uh, Capenna, right? So we did have Ledger Shredder already to build Phoenix with, but I guess they just like weren't really doing that. Because I remember there was like a six-mana human in um, Streets that was really bad, but people were like, oh, Winoda target. Because the moment it is a human and it costs over five mana, people will think it's a Winoda target. Mm-hmm. So I remember that talk. So I think it was banned like soon after. Might have been right before. I don't remember. Yeah, um, I remember killing her with Maestro's Charm. Actually, I'm pretty sure she was banned after. Hmm. Feel bad for Tovar Huntmaster, card that just sees straight up zero play now. You have no way to like cheat it in on turn three. No, and no one ramps into a bad Grave Titan anymore. Well, bad Grave Titan. Yeah, it's worse than Grave Titan, but not by much. 
Better call it a wrapping up, though. But I'm not sure about other storylines. I mean, if, if we're talking about the world, like, Twitter's still there. At least as of recording, Twitter is still there. <laughs> never, never know when the last day of that hellhole is, but I'll enjoy the the descent, the collective descend into hell <laughs> as Twitter dies or doesn't. So, Brad, if people want to support us uh, a little bit more than just listening to our episodes, where can they go? We can go on Patreon, on patreon.com slash Pioneerspective. They get early access to episodes every single week. They have access to other tiers that allow them to completely suggest whatever topic they want for us to either have a segment or an entire show with, and other benefits like merch if they go higher in tiers from there as well. There's also Ink Gaming. You can go on the website for our affiliate link. They can either get stuff with our faces on them or they can get stuff without them. And either way, the affiliate link helps us out and helps grow the show. Another way to support us too is to check out our articles on playingpioneer.com. I have my uh, Grixis Grab series that I will write every set comes out and what cards are in my favorite decks. And I will also try and write other articles again soon. And you have your Like a True Pioneer series where you explore all different kinds of things in Pioneer, like trying to figure out the ascendancy cycles is always a cool one. And you also have our socials, which is, you know, also a way to support us by giving us some more engagements on the old Twitter sphere. They can find me at uh, Alex Lockthwain, and they can find you over at Bradsifer. And if you want to engage in us a different way, you can go and play Paper Magic with us and with other people over at the PlayAway Discord server and hop in a league, find an, uh, just a regular looking for game tag, or also interact with us through the mailbag. Also a way to suggest episode topics, ask questions, which I want to give a quick shout out to Card Hoarder, who uh, has allowed us to join in their content creator program which means that, you know, it's a bit easier for us to experiment with decks and try out new content. And if you want to have any cards on MTGO, try and use Card Hoarder. I've already used it even before they got on the program. Easy to use. Good place to get your cards. Check them out. And now back to the episode. Yeah, I don't have any other storylines. I think I think my big two are Obnixus and Liliana, funnily enough. Just end up doing nothing. I'm sure we'll get another one. Sure, we'll Probably get, get to think of another one. We're busy. Well, in that case, let's move on to our top five cards of 2022. Now, again, this is top five cards that you and I enjoy playing with, uh, cards that we find interesting. They could be powerful cards. They could also just be bulk cards that don't see much play. But regardless, they're ones that we find the most fun or most enjoyable. So... Starting number five, Alex, what's your number five card of 2022? My number five, it is a cycle, but it's a pretty simple cycle. They are well, actually the... Now. Well, I mean, this is literally just like five times the same card, but it says different basic land types. It is the hideout yeah. cycle from uh, New Capenna. And they're pretty simple for people who don't remember them. They are lands, and when you play them, they automatically sacrifice themselves and find a basic land tapped that's correspondent to the um, the house. Is it house? What are they, the gangs? Yeah, I think, think they're mm. yeah the houses. I think they're what they're called. Yeah. So, no, like the example is, here is that uh, no, those are colleges. I don't fucking know. Who cares? They're, uh, they're yeah, those. They're families. Families. That's what they are. Families. families. That's it. Uh, the Which brokers hide out. So when it enters, you sack it, you search a basic forest plains or island, it enters tapped, you gain one life. Um, I find these fun because whenever they show up in decks, they're doing something interesting. 
Uh, I seen the combination. Um, I saw Doomwake play this the other day, and I thought it was really cool. If you have a Dread Presence in play, you know, who doesn't remember Dread Presence? Uh, four mana, three, three. When a swamp enters the battlefield, uh, deal two damage to something, you gain two life, or draw a card, lose a life. If you play this, you get a scape. Uh, scape Shift makes all the lands enter tapped. You get a scape shift, you cast scape shift, and you get one Urborg and as many hideouts as possible. They all enter, they're all swamps, they immediately sacrifice them again, and you find five uh, as many as you had hideouts. Other basics, they're all swamps. You yep. easily get like a million triggers on your dread presence. That's cool. Um I like when you have Urborg out. You can play these. They actually enter untapped, trigger on the stack. You could tap them for black mana, sack. You can do cool things with that with Lotus Cobra. Uh, I've seen like Splendid Reclamation, I think it's called, to like return all the lands from the battlefield, uh, from your graveyard to the battlefield. So like they gain you some life. So this could, which could honestly be pretty relevant if you're doing these things like playing a bunch of Scape Shift and cycling through a bunch of them, gain like five to ten life, depending on how often you get to do it. Uh, they just always show up when people are doing something interesting. So whenever I see a deck list and it has a hideout in it, it's probably there for a reason. And that's what I yeah. like about their design. Yeah, I think they're fun. I have them in my uh, an Omnath deck. My Omnath... Yeah. Uh, Perfect fit. What's it called? Uh, Locust of Creation? No. No, no, no. It's, it's, you got the, angry. it's the Omnath everyone else. Uh, everyone hates sad on math but it well yeah logos creation but um it's in a specific deck with uh magma opus and the one serpent dragon thing okoma no no you are confusing they reduces the cost of everything that's oh, each target it has hanada hanada yes yeah that one so they have those in. So why are they like in a there? Cup. Um, I think I was running out of lands because it's a four-color deck, and I have other lands <laughs> and other decks. <laughs> so I put two of them in there. <laughs> like, For budget do. reasons. They'll do. <laughs> um, yeah, not, my number five is a competitive card, but it's satisfying to cast for me. It's Leyline Binding. It really feels good to remove something from the bottom of my heart. It. Fuck you. <laughs> I know. Feels great to remove something <laughs> for like one mana or two mana. And then when I don't need or care about them having the thing anymore, I'm going to sack it to Enigmatic Fires or Enigmatic Incarnation and go get like an Agent of Treachery and just take it back or whatever. It, it is honestly a pretty sweet card. It enabled... Um... Karuga Fires to be an archetype, obviously together with uh, Temporary Lockdown and some other cards make yeah. that archetype tick. But, if, you know, you may may or may not like the archetype. I think Karuga Fires is, like, fine. Um, I don't hate it existing. It's fine to me. And usually when a card like that can enable an archetype, that's just, like, a plus for a card. So, yeah, I, th I think it's, like, I, I kind of hate it. But that's just the Grixis player in me hating white getting all this good spot removal. Mm -hmm. But not necessarily me hating the card. Because I think it's pretty sweet. Yeah. It's, I think it's a really fun, good card. Uh, I'm sure people in modern hate it because it's way easier to get to your five Oh colors. my god. 
Um, Turns out this card is like fucked Fury. up when you have fetches. Yeah. Um, but in Pioneer, which is fine. Yeah, card. and Pioneer there's also like a genuine cost to it, right? Like there are um there have been versions of Blue White that play this card and they need to run a bunch of triomes, and that is just a genuine downside. Yeah. And it's not like I'm playing uh, modern and I have like one triome in my deck that all my fetches can hit, and I just like at some point grabbed this triome and now I have this amazing removal spell ready. Like, it's a genuine deck building cost. And then I'm always like, that's always cool. Yep. Stops you from playing man land. So, like, if you want to make your mana base work, genuine downsides for a good card. Cool. And domain is a pretty reasonable mechanic. Pretty cool. All right, what's My number, number four? four is um, Phyrexian Missionary. It's one and a white... For a 2-3 Phyrexian Human Cleric with lifelink, and it has Kicker for one on a black, when Phyrexian Missionary enters the battlefield, if it was kicked, return target creature card from your graveyard to your hand. This is just, like, the kind of card that I just like playing with. Like, I haven't even really played with this card, because I don't really have a deck it goes in. Um, but for the record, this card could have been mono-black. And if this card was mono-black... I could have seen myself just putting four copies of these into a Grixis deck, into my Grixis yeah. deck to have, like, it's a blocking body, it has lifelink, you know, big butt, so it doesn't die to as many things, it's good against aggro, it can loop with, like, two Phyrexian missionaries, can keep getting the other one back, so it's a cool mana sink. I tend to like mana sink. I think Kicker is a cool mechanic. Uh, it's a card that, in a way, promotes a more slower, grindy game. And even though I don't like games that grind to, like, turn 500, I also don't need my games to be over on turn 4. And mm. I think this is, like, a really cool, like, kind of a callback to what I feel like Magic used to be a little more like. Card like this, 2 mana 2, 3, lifelink, decent body, decent stats, kicker for decent value, right? This this kicks to the effect to get a target card from your graveyard is a 1 mana effect. So having a 2 mana kicker, it's a bit slow, it's grindy, it's sweet. And when someone told me this is Elspeth's favorite position, I laughed. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The um, I do like it in like the Orzov, like that mid range Orzov list. Yeah, that with, this like, is Sarah sweet. Angel and stuff, or Sarah Paragon. Yeah, uh, Sarah Emissary, I think it's. Oh, Paragon, I think you're right, Sarah Paragon. Paragon. Yeah. yeah, that deck's um, so cool. I lost to that in a store championship, and this card, Fraction Missionary, hit me for 16 damage in that game. And I was just like, nice. I'm not even mad. Like, this is exactly how this card is supposed to be played. That deck also features a uh, a card that is my number four, mm. which is Extraction Specialist. And yes, that's a card that a lot of people do not like in the sense of like what it does for humans and things like that, or kind of gave humans a little bit more of like that Luris play pattern again, um, without the reduction of like, you know, needing to drop down to two mana cards only. But the card is just fun. It's just good value. You can also, I guess, put Sarah Paragon in the same spot too. I like cards that just are fair and can generate value uh, over the course of a game and need to be killed in that sense. So I like that deck a lot. I like this card a lot. I like getting I think, stuff back in my graveyard and doing I think the like, flavor, Charming Prince shenanigans. 
yeah, I think the flavor is also just 10 out of 10 with this card. It's it's perfect, right? It gets something back that's smaller. It can't attack as long as you have the extraction specialist, you know, the flavor sort of being like they're dragging them along through whatever situation yeah. they're in. So, you know, you can't do anything. Please just, you know, follow me while I fend people off. The extraction specialist can still attack. The art is cool. Like, it, it's, it's just, it is really like a home run card in that sense. It's strong. It's pretty fun to play with, though can be a little annoying to play against. Uh, flavor is cool. Intuitive card, right? It's not like a overly difficult card, but it does allow you to do cool things like Charming Prince, Shenanigans. Kind of yeah. a 10 out of 10 in that regard. Yeah. And funnily enough, it's from everyone's least favorite set in uh, New Capenna. But... Really yeah, hard. speaking of cards from Capenna, you know, we were talking before we were recording, like, Capenna's kind of a forgettable set. And it's like, I think it still is. I still have that opinion. But there are a bunch of cool cards in the set, even though you might forget they're from Capenna in two years. And one of yeah. them is my number three, and it's fight rigging. Already just oh, yeah. the art of a rhino punching another rhino in the face is just excellent. Um... But this card is just sweet. I've seen cool brews with it. It has a hideaway mechanic, which is like a bit of a callback, but like in a very cool way. Uh, people build fun decks around it. There's interesting ways to play around this restriction. Just to refresh people's memory, fight rigging, two and a, uh, two and a green for an enchantment with hideaway five. So when this enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. Exile one face down, rest, on the, uh, rest goes on the bottom. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a 1-1 counter on target creature you control. Then if you control a creature with power 7 or greater, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. I will also always be pro any card that is good for scales, just because that deck died for Heliot Sins. Yeah. So I see a cool scales card, and I'm like, good for you. You guys deserve that. Because you, you know, your deck died for no fucking reason. Um, yeah, I think also cool build around. I've seen a bunch of awesome brews with this. You know, either playing big cards that immediately meet the restriction, like Rolling Regisar, or playing it in a skills-like shell. And the 1-1 counters just grow really quickly. So there's a lot of cool ways to take fight rigging. Yeah, awesome card. Fun for yeah, family. I, it's fun for the glass cannon type of decks, too. You're just like I'm. Just gonna go for this. Uh, I'm gonna go for the Mog. <laughs> yeah, or the the demon that duplicates itself every turn. Oh yeah, that one. I've forgotten the name, uh, but it's. Yeah, I forgot. I, I also, but like, it's like a seven mana card for like a five five flyer. It's just like you want another one. There you go. So that one's really cool because you can start sacking like your elves and stuff like that, and just keep getting demons. Uh, my number three is another one from. Uh, New Capenna, and it's Obnixilis. And I also throw an Unlucky Witness here because it's the same set. This is because I love Rakdos Sack as my favorite deck to play in Pioneer um, and getting those two cards uh, from the set. Everyone talked about Obnixilis, but then people kind of found out Unlucky Witness was just really good. Um, it's probably the better... So it really... uh, no, it's not the better card for Rakdos Sack because Obnixilis is cracked if you it's, get it to Obnixilis work. Obnixilis has but... been delegated to a sideboard card against like control and stuff, but... Um, but yeah, like Knob Nexus is the higher ceiling, but Unlucky Witness is the more consistent card, right? Like you don't yeah. need, like Nexus, you usually want something to sack to it 
and then start rolling that way. Unlucky Witness is just like, I'm just here. I'm a great card. But it, the lines are great. The ability to just turn through your deck even more consistently now. Um, and then, of course, the big blowout of Obnixilis and just running with games that way, giving Rectusac another, like, axis to kind of uh, approach from uh, made the deck a lot of fun for me. That's the reason I went to two different regional championship qualifiers or whatever um, with that deck. And, uh, yeah, that I fucking love Obnixilis. It might be my, you know, number one, like, card of, like, people overvalued too much. It was too, it was overhyped. But it's still a good card. It's not like it's a bad card. Yeah. Uh, for my number two, I have I have two cards here, and they 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 seem like a very odd pair together, but I'll explain later. The first one is Fortified Beachhead. So it mm. is a land as Fortified Beachhead enters the battlefield. It's from Brothers War. You may reveal a soldier if you do. It enters untapped. Taps for blue and white, and there's a mana sink on it for your soldiers. And the second one is Leaf Crown Visionary, which is green green for an elf. Uh, elf Druid, 1-1, one, one. other Elf you control get plus 1, plus 1, and when you cast an Elf, you may pay green if you do draw a card. And this is basically just a shout-out to the fact that we got some really awesome, like, creature-type matter synergy this year. Um, you know, we got a lot of good Elves, uh, like, we got this to support Elves, we had, like, you know, a Merfolk Lord and the Minds, uh, Mind Singer, I think it's called, which really gave, like, Merfolk a big boost, we got the Soldier boost, bunch of cool Lords, bunch of cool effects... Uh, also, like, different effects, so not just lords that give stats, but we saw them do, like, interesting designs. Think, again, mm -hmm. like the Merfolk Lord that turns every Merfolk into a Curse Catcher. Um, we had the Soldier Lord that was kind of like a Crypt Breaker. So I just hope to see more cool tribal support because it's clear that they've got cool ideas, and uh, I think these type of decks are really cool. So I hope they do more of it. Yeah. I, that that was probably the coolest surprise of a land to get in that set because it's just yeah. randomly a one of it's not a cycle so yeah and then we talked about it on that episode when we when this card was revealed we're like we're hoping when we go back to Ixalan they like do a cycle like this yeah I I also really liked especially the fact that it was a random one off because it felt like for a while. It the design was kind of stuck. It's like if we can't make a cycle out of it, we're not gonna put it in a set. Or um, you know, with something like triomes, like oh, cycling has to be a theme for triomes to be a thing in a set. And it seems like they've gone a little bit looser with that. I mean, like nah, like you know, mechanically, it doesn't make the set or whatever that much more complex. And we have this one good idea. And we can't make it a cycle, so have the one card. Yep. And I'm happy to see that, just design-wise. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so my number two is one that's not really a constructed played card, though I wish it was. I want it to be, and I, I kind of wanted to try it out with like a fires list, but it's Archangel of Wrath. And for those of you who don't know, because this is kind of a bulk rare, is a 4-mana 3-4, 2 double white, with kicker of black and or red. And you can kick it up to two times. So it's a flying lifelink 3-4. Archangel of Wrath enters the battlefield. If it was kicked, deals two damage to any target. And then if it was kicked again, it does that again. So you can kick it twice. So you can spend six mana on it to shock 
two things or one thing twice or whatever um, or go face and then you gain the life the reason this is on my number two is because I won three limited events at my store because of this card I won one pre-release event and two drafts because I just kept getting this card I got I had two and two of those events I had two of these I it was my foil pre-release stamp on my pre-release and it was in one of my packs and then it came around the table twice at another event uh, at my draft it is awesome it is the most fun card I've played in limited I love this it's like it's a great bomb uh, and it, it's it it represents some of the most fun moments of playing magic this year that I had in playing limited events for Dominator United which Dominator United in itself was probably the best limited experience this year for me all all around. It was a phenomenal limited set, much like the original Dominaria. So can't wait for us to go back to Dominaria again because they're really good at making limited sets. Yeah. <laughs> I think in, in, an, in a way that might be the freedom that they have for Dominaria. Dominaria is yeah. so white. They have so much freedom to put whatever mechanics they want in it. Um. Yeah, I th- I love I fucking love this card. Like cards like this really made me think. Like, man, I wish cards like this were still good. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't been for a while. Like I often talk about 2018 Magic. I don't think this card would have been good in 2018. Like this is this is maybe talking like 2014 Magic, maybe like even 2008 Magic when this card would have been nuts, and now it's not not playable yeah. at all. But this card is just cool. I always love, like, big, expensive angels, dragons, demons kind of cards to, like, top like top off an aggro deck with or something. And this is such a perfectly made card for that. It's just that aggro decks don't run these kind of cards. Mm-hmm. Because they're inconsistent. But my god, yeah. is it sweet. I think, um, I think it could have been a decent 2017 card. When I think of, like, Siege Rhino from 2016... Um, like yeah, you but, know, Amonkhet, that kind of thing. I think it could have been decent in that standard. I like the Mardu. Okay, Alex Rekindling Phoenix, but Rekindling Phoenix problem. was a was a fucking good. Card. Yeah, but that's a mono red card, and it was a mono that's red, fine. which was a good deck. This is a Mardu card. As someone who played three color decks in that time, it was a fucking nightmare to make these decks work. Hey, I made it work. <laughs> I played Mardu in standard. Yeah, I but played, I played a a Mardu. Um, uh, what was it called? A Mardu uh, Spawn of Mayhem deck. <laughs> that was a great deck building. But if you... <laughs> I think a funny one that I've done is I look back at old decks and you can look at like how you build a deck, right? Yeah. And it's... You're like, man, like the curve is bad or like, you know, these cards are just objectively bad cards. But have you ever had a look at the mana of old decks you made. My god, I've had a look at my old mana bases, and I'm like, how the fuck did I ever win a game of Magic with this? Yeah, this is... a fucking two-color deck, and you're like, I have... You're running oh, like I play like a three-color deck. And I was like, oh, I have like Fatal Push, and I have like four untapped black sources on turn one. Or like, there's like nine black sources in my deck. Mm-hmm. And I have four Fatal Push. And I was like, how did I ever kill a Long Tusk Cup playing this deck? Like, I don't get it. I did. 
I don't know how, but I did. <laughs> I remember playing Pirates. That was fun. Played Grixis Pirates without that fucking Grixis card because I thought it was bad. Uh, Beckett Brass? Yeah, I thought it was awful. It is bad, but it is cool. I got it from the list recently, and I'm like, there's cooler cards played, on this list. I played the two drop di- with Menace, the Dire Fleet Captain, and then I also played Dire Fleet, um, the four drop that gives all attacking pirates plus two. Well, that card's cool. Yeah. Th- Man, that pirates was, pretty- was awesome. <clears throat> it was pretty much cool all deck. Rakdos, and I splashed blue for uh, the counter spells. So let it be tempo-y. Admiral's order. Exactly. Fuck your settled oh. wreckage for one blue. Um, and uh, <laughs> Lookout's Dispersal. <clears throat> that one was cool, too. That was... I, I really hope when we get to... Ex- I mean, we have to, right? More pirate support? Yeah. Like, it was such a cool archetype. I was Especially so if it would get a cool... Even, I didn't even play the Daring Buccaneer. Did not like, play I really, really hope that we just get a try like a three color land just for pirates just because like please don't make it just a rectos aggro deck like make the blue yeah. splashable please that would make it so sweet i remember the what's the one card the uh the two drop two two and then you can pay two um to make a copy of itself and they have menace or whatever and right they make two two menace uh pirates it's so one in a black. That's a card I wish oh. was better. <clears throat> um, I know what you mean. I just don't know the card anymore. Dire no, I, I, I'm not going to get to it. So while you look that up, I'm going to talk about my number one. Yep. Um, This is also two cards, but I wanted to throw them together because otherwise this was going to become cards that Alex plays in his favorite deck. And it is Xander's Lounge and Maestro's Charm. And I had to put this at number one because this was such an awesome boon for my favorite deck, Grixis Control, where Xander's Lounge made the mana base a lot more like manageable. Uh, if you look at my um, Grixis Grabs article from Neon Dynasty, this was obviously before then, and the mana base was a mess. Like, I think it was workable. Uh, the mana base actually had some upsides where it had, like, more untapped sources of lands, but it was a lot of homework to make it work. It had, like, I had, like, some slow lands and some pathways and some shocks and, you know, a bunch of, like, AFR lands. It was it was a fucking nightmare to make that mana base work. And Xander's Lounge made it very clean. You know, mm-hmm. you play one of those, you have a bunch of checks. You know, you don't have to play... Uh, double-faced cards in your uh, lands in your two co- three-color deck, which is a huge relief. Um, so that just made it very functional. And Maestro's Charm really gave like a unique thing to the deck because before it very much felt like Demir with Nicol Bolas because he's cool. And Maestro's Charm really gave the deck something unique, that diverse, like... Dick through time setup while going like very deep in your deck, finding something like a sweeper, a decent removal spell. Like for most intents and purposes, this is a hero's downfall um, with the downside that you can mystical dispute it, which has definitely come up. Uh, also, hero's downfall is not a great card, but like 
modal charm. You expect it to be mm-hmm. a little worse in some ads. And the drain? The drain three? <laughs> Holy fucking shit has that come up a lot. Yeah. Like, I drained three a ton with this card, which I did not expect going. I was like, yeah, it's cute. But, like, no, I, like, clock people with this. Like, I've regularly won games with, like, end step, double, maestro's charm, untap, gearhawk, maestro's charm, you're dead. Like, I've done that. It really, for people who play Jeskai Control in modern, you know, talking about 2018 magic, the mm-hmm. old, like, bolt snap bolt on your end step, untap, attack you, lightning helix you. Like, it, it reminds me of that. And that was really sweet back in the day. I didn't play Jeskai, but I played Grixis, so it had the same bolt snap bolt K command you uh vibe yeah and yeah it just gave a really unique angle to a deck i really love playing and it's one of those typical cards that people pick up then they're like i remember this from draft and then they see you dump everything in your graveyard and cast a dick through time and they're like oh that's why it's there i'm like yeah motherfucker (laughs) that's why it's there (laughs) yeah that makes sense being your number one it's the card that made your pet deck significantly better i would think it is absolutely far and away the card from 2022 that i have cast the most i don't have to look that up it is it is not even remotely close i don't think my number one necessarily is the card that i've cast the most in 2022 um i think the card i cast the most in 2022 would probably have to be Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, Lucky witness? Uh, it might just be cat. It might be the cat. The cat? Yeah, calling it familiar from cat, like cat oven. Oh, okay, you're not meaning <clears throat> like just the card you've cast. I-, I thought the card released this year that I've cast the most. Otherwise, it's probably Fatal Push because oh, it's cheaper. Oh, yeah. Oh, but- then probably Unlucky Witness then, I would say. Um. Maybe Fable. I did play a decent amount of Rakdos midrange, and I did start playing Fable in my uh, sack deck, too. And then also I played Fable in Winota. I played Fable in <clears throat> Hanada. Oh, it's Fable. It's definitely Fable, now that I think about it. <laughs> I played Fable in a lot of decks. I, I even played a, a thick red deck with, like, Chain Whirler, Soul Scar Mage, and stuff like that, and, like, uh, Torbran... Um, the uh the Frosidon. and i even started putting fable on that too because i'm like why the fuck not so yeah, yeah come on it's what is be- what is better than one glory bringer brad <clears throat> two glory two. bringers it's two glory bringers yeah my number one card is titan of industry to the bane of so many standard players that listen to our podcast <laughs> they're like oh go fuck yourself but this card is the most satisfying card to hit because you're like yup I'm going to remove your Fable the Mirror Breaker. I'm going to fucking just gain five life. I'm going to make a 4-4. Four, four. I'm, I'm going to give something. It's maybe itself or something else on board protection. And the shield counter. Um, and it's it's satisfying to cast it no matter when you do. It's satisfying if you, get, if you hit it off a of fight rigging. I mean, that's really satisfying, hitting anything off a of fight rigging. It's satisfying when you uh, when you cheat it out in any kind of way, right? It's super satisfying when you sack it or sack something like the Leyline Binding 
in Enigmatic Fires, and you're like, I'm going to go get Titan Ministry. Um, it's super satisfying when you just straight up played on turn seven fairly. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I got it. And and you just fucking swing the game completely. And then you get into the things of like blinking it and shit. Oh my God. It's just so, it's such a fun card to play with. It's not nearly as, you know, highly represented in Pioneer due to the way the Pioneer is. Um, but like it's but there. Yeah. It's probably the premier big card. Yeah. Like people Too are bad, like transmogrifying into it. So kind of has to be like, the, I mean, it's not, people don't do the. Oh yeah. John Transmog. Yeah, one? Was, the Titan was the target. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Indomitable Creativity. They don't do that because it's by Worm. Yeah. But. For, which, by the way, why don't people transmogrify the world spine worm instead? But hey, I mean, you could cast Titan of Industry in that deck, and you will never cast world spine worm, ever. So um, maybe that's why. I think why? it's because because you need the two card combo, right? And no, but I mean, have... I mean, it <clears throat> is also just a fifteen fifteen trample that gives you three five fives when it dies. Oh, you're thinking of like Jund. Like in Jund yeah, just that Jund Transmogrify. Why don't they just Transmogrify into World Spire Worm? I think the deck ends up devolving into... I mean, it's probably because the deck devolves into a, uh, like, you know, you need value. And a 15-15 that has Indestructible can still be exiled. It's right? not even Indestructible. But it oh. just, when it dies, you get 3-5-5, five, five, so it's what's pretty the hard one to deal with. What's the one that's Indestructible? Does the one that have Convoke? That we're thinking of? Yeah, you're the thinking of the one with Convoke from uh, the Box Stopper. Yeah, from Guilds of Africa. <clears throat> God, I opened a. I, I found a Box Stomper again recently. You know that 6 mana 6 5 from the original Dominaria? Yeah. And by the way, before people are like magic zoomers, I know it's not the first set on Dominaria, <laughs> but it was yeah. the first set just named Dominaria. <laughs> Um, when I remember someone had a binder when that was the first time box toppers came out and there's like here's my binding of box toppers but like purposely didn't pronounce it very well and it was a binder full of box toppers mm. I, I had to think of that, that was, um, now I've even forgot what I was talking about other than transmogrifying into big cards but yes title of industry big cards Turn, big cards card. Fun, big card, fun, fun card. Put it in your commander deck. Get the ETB negated by Alice Norn. Cry on Twitter. Um, fuck it. Put it in your own deck and double that. Put a shield yeah. counter on your Alice... Put two shield counters on your Alice Norn so people can't kill it who's with your removal. Com- who's your Selesnya commander then? And I'm just putting it... The I have Mael as a Naya commander and mm-hmm. I was very mad to see Alice Norn be a 4-7 even though I understand because it's the same stat line as the normal one, because my L cheats Karn into play with five power or more. And I'm like, I so badly want to put this card in this deck, but I have my own rule that I don't put in cards with power below five. I don't have Dockside Extortionist in the deck because it has one power. Just because hmm. I'm like, no, if it doesn't have five power, it is not going in the deck. But I really want to put Alice Norn in the deck because I have so many cool ETBs. So see, Sean, it should have been better. It should have been a 5-7. Don't change the stats. Don't change anything. Make it a 5-7. 
not like the one point of power is going to fucking matter for Commander, is it? <laughs> yeah, the thing people are more so upset about is the effect and the fact that it's just a really efficient blocker that no one's going to want to attack you. I mean... They made me learn of another card. Vigilance is very good in EDH. Like, it's probably my favorite keyword in yep. EDH because it means I get to actually fucking kill people but not die myself. Mm -hmm. And I learned that there's a two-mana card that just an enchantment that just says your creatures have vigilance. And it's like 10 cents. I'm like, that's going into every white deck I own. Because <laughs> I want to fucking kill people. Yeah. I really like the, uh, the fucking the f four count, the council of four deck that I played. I thought that was fun. I can put Elf Oh, yeah. The... Yeah, you actually played Baldur's Gate Limited, right? Yeah, and I, I, that's what made me build a that commander deck because I, I, I won my Baldur's Gate <laughs> event with that yeah. deck. We have to I play. Was like, this is again. sweet. I haven't played yeah, it forever. Sure. I just, you know, before we like, because I don't. We could talk about some other things. I don't know if we have other things to talk about. But do you see people probably seen this? Have you seen the Elish or the um, Elish Norn? I said the name a million times now. The new braids, but the game day promo. For Braids Arisen Nightmare? Um, yeah, I did. I need that card. I have a Braids deck. I, I need this card. Like, badly. It does look It is good. so fucking cool. But I don't know if we have any things to talk about. Uh, overall. I have nothing new. Nothing new magic related. You know, let's end on the semi-high note. There have been some yeah. other annoying parts. Let us uh, maybe go, because I started off with a pretty large list, actually. Uh, I think overall, 2020 design-wise hasn't been, like, the best year for I find personally. There's cool stuff, but, like, there's a lot of cards that, as I said, when we talked about Neon Dynasty, um, where I'm like... I would rather not have this card exist. But then I did see going through, there's a bunch of really sweet cards that were made this year and a bunch of very like creative and cool cards. And, you know, we've talked about before about how like um, it feels like with how much product they have to make that sometimes it can feel like there's, you know, one person can only have an X amount of creativity in their body before they run out. And are they running out of that creativity because they just have to make too many cards? But then going through, like, all the cards printed this year, you know, I'm mm. a little more optimistic when it's like, no, there's actually, like, really cool shit in there, but some of it just, like, slips through the cracks and it's not good enough. Like, uh, the first one I saw, because I sorted it alphabetically, uh, is the Academy Loremaster card from Dominaria United. You know, the two blue pips, two, three. Uh, you could draw an extra card, but spells during your turn across two more. And, like, cards like that, it's really still, like, there's a lot of, like, cool, fun, like, interesting designs in there. But, you know, it just, some of it just falls through the cracks because then they print a shield red. But, you know, I am cautiously optimistic going into next year. Um, I think there's, flavor-wise, I think it's going to be very cool, right? We literally get, like, the Avengers Endgame set uh, if they could pull it off. You know, that that's a big if. 
because you know as uh we talked about before i wasn't the biggest fan of avengers uh wait i always forget if endgame is the first one infinity war is the second one right or is it the other way around uh it's infinity war is the first one yeah i thought infinity war was good i didn't like endgame uh we are currently in infinity war basically we're setting up for infinity war Mm. For, like, magic-wise. So let's hope they get Infinity War right and then get Endgame right. And then I think we can have a bunch of really cool sets. Uh, Brothers War obviously had a lot of Phyrexia stuff in it, but I felt, like, still had a really nice balance of, like, Phyrexia and non-Phyrexia. Uh, I hope they keep that up. You know, I understand that we need to have a lot of Phyrexia if we're going to be fighting on Phyrexia. But, you know, I hope they keep that good balance of, like, it's not all, like, horror robots, but there's also a little bit more going on. Um, you know, I like the teaser art where we see Asika and the chariot and that sort of thing, you know, rocking along the Phyrexian bodies. So, uh, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty optimistic. I think we could have some really awesome, really cool sets ahead of us. I don't know about you. I'm just super excited for the entire Phyrexian arc in general. Some people are complaining that it's moving too fast, uh, but that's because Wizards received complaints of people saying that the Bolas arc took too long, so they're kind of like speeding it up a little bit when it comes to story. I personally really liked the Bolas arc and how long it took. Um, I thought it, the the payoff was better. Yeah. Of like getting also- to where the spark. I mean, I felt like the, the payoff, I think like the buildup was better than the payoff. Uh, yeah, War of the Spark was in many ways a disappointing set, even if we're not talking about just the card design. But I love the setup, especially mm-hmm. because it was... And I do get that, what we have with the Phyrexian arc. No, it's super in-your-face. Where, yeah. with the Bolas arc, we were on a lot of planes where, like, the Bolas plans were, like, running, but we weren't really busy with it. Like, even Amonkhet. Right? If you... If you aren't really familiar with the story and you look at Amonkhet, you're like, you might even like forget that it's about Bolas, almost. You know, they mentioned the God Pharaoh a million times, so you can figure out yeah. who that is. But, you know, throughout, I started playing in Kaladesh. And when I Kaladesh, I saw like, you know, um, we had Innistrad before and Battle for Zendikar. And I knew about those sets. And technically, especially Kaladesh, that's very much like. Bolas doing things in the background. But yep. other than the card Dark Intimations that literally mentions him, up until actually like Hour of Devastation, I wasn't like super like, who is this guy? Because I was too distracted by cool, you know, steampunky, you know, Indian inspired culture. And then we went to Egypt and there were Minotaurs bashing shit in. And I was like, I'm too distracted yep. by all this cool shit to notice the bigger story. Yeah, exactly. It did a really good job of like having a story take place in each of the planes but having an overarching story in the background culminating to a larger event yeah and that's less now like every story is very much about you know the phyrexians but you know it does then wrap up in like a year and a half yeah because when we were like on call time like yes vorinclex was there but i wouldn't say that was a story about the phyrexians at all so it's really been like since neon dynasty that it's really like amped up I mean, like, Innistrad wasn't about the Phyrexians at all. Like, Crimson Vow and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, So, it's still, that's like it's, I mean, you could, you could argue it's been setting up since 
Kalheim, I guess. Um, but yeah, Neon Dynasties were really started that, like, the story was very much there. Yeah. But yeah. So, that's all I got. Year. Looking forward to a Great cool year. 2023. Um, and remember also, to please let us know. What? Brad, I found a job. Like, oh I, yeah, you I, got a I job. Got my, I got my degree and now I'm getting a real job. Hooray. I'm becoming an I'm becoming an adult and it's scary. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I had that moment the other day where I'm like, oh yeah, I'm an adult because I bought a chair. <laughs> like I bought a new office chair to I, sit in. I had this I moment it myself. I mean, this was actually already a few years ago, but um, it made me feel really old. Like me and my girlfriend, we were uh, we were watching like something on telly and like we we're watching a movie in bed. And we had, like, a tray that, like, we had the food on. I think it was a tray for my brother or something. He had, like, made this whole, like, holiday thing where, like, I think this was, like, for Christmas. And there were, like, food in there. And there was, like, a sort of online movie pass thing. So we could have, like, a movie night at home because lockdown. And that came with a tray. And we were sitting on the bed, you know, eating our food or watching our movie. And we were both, like, man, this is, this is a really good, nice tray. Like, I want one of those. Mm-hmm. And then we, were, we looked at each other and it's, like... We're getting old. <laughs> yeah. We were just like, that is a good tray. <laughs> Very good quality like, tray. Yeah, exactly. Good quality tray. It's nice. It's good size. <laughs> yeah, it's not too big. It's Yeah. Uh, I was. I saw this thing on TikTok, and I, I complained about it. Uh, it was this, like, this gaming box thing, and it's like it had a slot for your controller, like a little pouch for like food and stuff, and it had a little thing that was you put a drink in, and like it, it was showing like if you tip it, the drink holder had like the the rotational thing, so like it would move to where the the perspective of the box was, and I'm like, okay, look, I understand what you're going for, but if I bump into this fucking box, it's not gonna be lightly tapped and tipped over a little bit where the drink just is able to stay upright. The whole box is flying <laughs> off the fucking couch, dude. <laughs> There's no way that's being effective. There's no fucking shot that's working as intended. How many times have you been trying to get something like off of your nightstand or like in bed or whatever, and you grab it and you lift your arm up and knock over three other fucking things just because they're there? <laughs> like that's what's going to fucking happen. Don't give me this stupid $35 fucking box of plastic that's not going to work as intended. This thing better weigh the weight of Mjolnir for me to not knock it off this fucking couch. <laughs> Only the worthy can knock it over. <laughs> Good. I'll never knock it over. <laughs> fucking stupid advertisements. But... We are going to go ahead and wrap up on a little bit of a shorter episode this time. Maybe that's our gift to you for the holidays, that we have a a shorter episode. Though, I guess if you're on Patreon, you get an hour of pre-rambling. Yeah, we had so much pre-ramp. It's felt like a long recording, and I I think it's been a bit over an hour. So We went into it thinking like, man, when we do a top 10, there's a lot of overlap. And they already take pretty long, the recording. So when we do a top 5 and talk about other things, let's keep it to a top 5. And then we, like, speed ran through it. Because it turns out if the cards aren't new, you don't spend as long talking about them. So, lesson learned. We'll do a top ten next year. But we want to remind you, go ahead and please 
give us your feedback on everything that you think about the the year. What are your high moments or your low moments? All that good shit. And even from quick, us, what were episodes yeah. that you were like, "Hey, I really enjoyed listening to that episode. I hope to see one like it next year." You know, we've I remember we had a few like we had a bit more of a mailbag heavy one, you know, make sure to contribute to that if you want um by going to the Discord. Uh, there's also, you know, we had an episode on like overrated cards, underrated cards, like how to build around certain strategies, etc. We've had a bunch of these like sort of topical episodes. So it's really cool if you let us know like, hey, I really enjoyed this one and would like to see that be a thing again next year. Um, especially to our patrons who on the Patreon actually just, you know, if you go on the own there, so a reason to go on the Patreon. If you message us and be like, hey, I want to see an episode about that. We will make it happen, whether or not it will be a segment of an episode, if we think it's a smaller subject, or if we think it's interesting enough to make a whole episode about, we will do that. So uh, make sure to leave that feedback, again, either on the Patreon, but we will respond to Twitter, Twitter DMs, hop on the Discord, etc. And let us know what you want to hear, because at the end of the day, you know, I love chatting you know with brad and i would do it if we would broadcast it into the void but it is really awesome that so many people listen to it and more than we've had quite a bit of growth this year and that has been really awesome yeah uh, our listener base grew by what 300 and something percent this year yeah it was it year. was nuts to see like a spotify wrapped and i was like pardon <laughs> what so here's here's to 300 percent growth next year Brad, we are yeah, not a corporation. Course. We're not going to do that type of thing. <laughs> We're not Watsy. <laughs> Forced speaking growth. Of, speaking of Patreon, we want to give special thanks to Sir Epic, Bridger, Patrick, Will, Aaron, Dwayne, and Oyvind, and Kevin. Thank you guys so much for your support. We appreciate you. And again, if you are able to show support on Patreon, uh, of course you get extra goodies, that kind of thing. But it means a lot to us in general for the support that you guys show. And with that, we love you. We thank you. We appreciate you. And thank you so much for being with us this year for an entire full year of Pioneer Perspective. This has been really awesome. We've been doing this since 2020 now. Uh, and we're entering year three of uh, doing the Pioneer Perspective, which is really cool. Uh, the growth that we've had along the way, the growth of both, you know, from not from just from a listening standpoint and people supporting us, but as well as the growth of our personal endeavors ourselves as content creators and just the way that we approach the podcast in general. I have listened to the first episode of the Pioneer Perspective more times than any other episode combined uh, because that's the one I was most critical of. And I absolutely hated it looking back on it. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much I hated how I talked, how much I hated how we interacted with one another, how the overall entire thing basically played out. And we've done a really good job, I feel, of building on that uh, our chemistry or our friendship and just talking about everything in general and a, a huge growth for the show. And I think you guys kind of agree. Thanks to the growth that we've had this year yes. alone in, in listeners, as well as our endeavors into, you know, the play X uh, network and like writing content and doing more videos, like the questionable commentary series that we started and yet have not done a single episode of for months, but that's okay. We might do that some more again. It's really hard to keep up with content when you can't commit to it full time. <laughs> And you have a six-hour time difference. You're like, hey, I have time now. And I'm like, Brad, it is two in the morning. I'm about to go to bed. It's like, oh, yes. yes. <laughs> but with all that, 2022 has been an awesome year. We appreciate you guys more than you can ever know. And we hope you stick with us for next year in 2023. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.